in this dream, I had, I could see a lot of, it's almost like just how we are seated now was like in the middle and we had like a roll of red seats like this, but surrounding me had another area like that and I was in the middle. And everywhere around us was parched and burnt up. You know how they have those fires, what it looks like? But where we were, there was a circle, it was just these red chairs and everybody was around. And if there were planes flying overhead trying to drop supplies. One thing about me, I don't dream very often, but when I dream... <laughs> So these planes were fly, flying overhead and they were dropping supplies because there was no way to reach people. But we were all together and I kept, I kept telling myself, why are we all like together? There's no damage here, but you can look and see all the burnt houses and the burnt trees and the grass. Everything was desolate. And these planes flew ahead and dropped these ba- big, big, big bags. And it just landed right in the middle of us. And I called some of our ladies that work with me very closely. I told them, I said, let's see what's in the bag, the supplies. And we opened it. It was meat. It was like red, lean beef cut in squares. And for some reason, everybody here had Ziploc bags in their hands. And they came to me and I would just put my hands and I would put it in the Ziploc bag and I would say, go give it to somebody. And I woke up. And immediately God said, this church is going to be a place where the meat of the word is distributed. Times are coming. And people, I mean, we can already, people can see, those that are in the spirit can see it. There are sleeper cells of these terrorists right now in the U.S., Things are going to happen. We will see some scriptures today. So things are going to happen that people, we are the ones God is relying on. And so we cannot afford, I've said it here over and over, we cannot afford to be a Christian. First of all, you come to church once a year, that's not going to do it. You come to church when you feel like it, that's not going to do it. Or you come to church and you sit down, you are not involved in any ministry, that's not going to do it. Every one of us, we have to put our hand on the plow to do what God has called all of us to do. And so if you are a member of this church or you desire to be a member, if you are going to be the one who is sitting down doing nothing, this is not the place for you. Everyone here, everybody had the Ziploc bag and everybody was busy. Every one of us here, we have something to do. You don't have to be behind the pulpit to preach. You don't have to be behind the pulpit to be used. These end times we are in, we are the ones God is depending on to bring the end harvest in. And so if you are not ready to work for the Lord, this is not the church for you. Standing strong in the last days is the title of this sermon today. I won't even call it a sermon. I believe God really wants to talk to us today. In Titus chapter 2 verses 11 to 14, it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God 
and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that we should, he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and listen to this, and purify himself for his own special people, the special people he purifies as zealous, as zealous for good works. It starts with grace, it ends with works. Listen to me, it starts with grace, for by grace are you saved, not of yourself, it is the gift of God. But once you are saved, God expects you to do something. Matthew chapter 16 verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, there are two conditions for you to be a follower of Jesus. If you don't meet these conditions, you are not a follower of Jesus. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, number one, let him first of all deny himself. And then let him take up his cross. When those conditions are met, then you can call yourself a follower of Jesus. Amen? Second Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. But know this, know this, and I will talk about that, know this. That in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, from such people turn away. This was written to Christians. We've always talked about in Matthew and in most of the places of the Bible talking about events that will happen at the last times. Earthquakes, pestilences, famine. But this Bible verse here, in Second Timothy, this verse is here, it's talking that perilous times will come. Why? For men. So there are things that will happen in the end days that are caused by us. And the sad thing is, the men that he's talking about are not unbelievers. Paul is talking about men that have a form of godliness. The Bible talks about wheat and tares growing alongside each other in the church. That's why I'm saying that if you don't want to serve God, you don't want to serve God, that's up to you. But if you're ready to serve God, you have to go in full throttle. You have to go in with everything you have. This is not the time. You cannot afford it. Corruption. That is in the world that is inherent in man. Will only get worse. If I take an apple or a peach. And I hold it in my hand for three, four, five days. Eventually, no matter how good it is. There is corruption in that peach. Eventually, it will begin to get rotten. So, that is the same thing with this world. It's folding up. The corruption in the world, you can, nobody can change the devil. You cannot make the devil change his mind. You cannot make the change, uh, devil uh, uh, confess his sins. You cannot make the devil change. 
And so this world will not change. It will get worse. And we have to take a side. You are either on the side of God or you are on the side of corruption. Because God says, I will make a new heaven and a new earth. He's not going to renovate this earth. This earth with all its corruption is going to pass away. And the new earth and the new heaven God is going to make, there will be no corruption there. God will not look at sin. God will not look at anything that we give. These days we give excuses and we say, you know, God is too good. Oh, the grace of God. Look at what it says here in Titus chapter 2. It says the grace of God that brings salvation. There are different graces. There are different graces in the Bible. Do a study on the different graces. There are different graces. There's the grace to give. There's the grace for wisdom. There's a grace for overcoming. There's a grace for salvation. He says the grace of salvation that has appeared to you, that you received, that grace is a teacher. Grace is a teacher. Teresa, put those scriptures back up. He did, sorry. Put the scriptures back up. Titus, the very first one. I want to show us something here. I'm not going by my notes. I really want to just talk from my heart. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Keep going. He says, teaching us that the grace that we have teaches you to deny ungodliness. The grace of God that led you to salvation teaches you to deny worldly lust. The grace of God teaches you to live soberly. It teaches you to live righteously. And it teaches you to live godly in this present age. People that tell you that grace is a permission for them to live on the edge. We don't know if you are a Christian or not. Because the grace of God is, oh, the grace of God. The grace of God won't let him put me in hell. This is what the grace of God does. So believers have to learn. We need to go back to being on fire for the Lord. We need to go back to being passionate for the things of God. We need to let that, that, those two gods, we talk about gods. Oh, Baal. You all forgive me. This dream I saw was very, very scary. So I want to talk to us today. This is a charge. We talk about, oh, the grace of God doesn't make you do things anyhow. The grace of God makes you deny things. Not Excuse them. Or not think that because the grace of God once saved, always saved, is a lie. That is the, from the pit of hell. If not, Jesus will not say, you know, I will tell you, go away from me. You that do ungodly things. If that's the case. And Paul says here in 2 Timothy verse 3 verse 1, he says, know this. Know this. He says that in the last days, perilous times will come. That know here is talking about, it's like a strong command. It's telling you that this is something that must happen. This is something you must know. 100% you can bank on it. That what I'm telling you, he says, and he's talking to Timothy, he says, perilous times will come. And what do we mean by perilous times? That word perilous only appears one more time in the scriptures. And it was in Matthew, 
let me let get the scripture. It was in Matthew chapter 8 verse 28. It says there, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gazarenes, there Jesus met two men that were demon-possessed, coming out of the tomb exceedingly fierce. That exceedingly fierce is the same word as perilous. Or perilous. I'm not, I don't speak English well, so whatever. The same, that's the same word as perilous. That means exceedingly fierce, like demon-possessed people. Those are the kind of people we are going to be seeing in the last days. So when Timothy says in the last days, man, he says here, perilous times will come. He's saying that the times we are going to go into that are coming, and believe me, they are coming because he said, know this. Things are going to happen that is going to make those that don't know the Lord, you will not make it. If you're serving God with lip service, you will not make the days that are coming. I have scriptures to show you that. In Matthew 24, verse 21 to 22, it says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever will be, is Jesus speaking here. And unless those days are shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, because of us, those days will be shortened. So if you're somebody who is not already attached to Jesus like the vine, attached to him like the branches to the vine, the days coming there will be so much shaking. God says in the scriptures, everything that will be shaking will be shaked. Or shook? Shook? <laughs> Lord, I'm trying to be serious. Don't make me laugh. (laughs) Everything will be shaken. And if you're not holding on tight, you will not make it. You will fall off. So all of this is for us to just really make up your mind. Thank God in this church, we have many, 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 many ministries you can join. Many ways for us to serve. Yesterday, on Saturday, we were giving out food here. Pastor uh, Mike and Pastor Roy and some people were in Hearn going door to door knocking and also giving out food. On Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, we are going to be back in our neighborhood here. We've been doing that for almost two months now. Every other Tuesday, we are going door to door knocking to tell them about Jesus. We have to do something. Amen? We are headed for times that are going to be terrible. I really, I, I'm telling you what I saw was not fun. And I've talked about the fact that the nature of grace causes us not to lower standards. It doesn't make us to lower our standard. It says grace makes you deny ungodliness. Grace makes you deny the lust of the world. Grace takes pride out of your life. Grace allows Jesus to purify you. Amen? Because we've known that those that call themselves Christians, they've used, they've abused what they call grace. To live a life that is not pleasing to the Lord. So Paul warns us right here in the scriptures that the things that we're going to be looking at in the last days, and I'm going to just touch, it was 18 of them. He says, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. He goes on and on. And the last thing he talked about was having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it. 
So what I want you all to do on your own at home, I want you to go over all the different things that he talked about. Lovers of money, I will talk about lovers of themselves, self-love, I will talk about that today. But he talked about lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power. It says, from such people turn away. So I'm going to just take the first one and the last one, which is the self-love and denying the power of godliness. Now, love of self, if you really think about it, every other thing that Paul mentioned that would be among believers, all those things, 18 things that we talked about would be among people that profess to be Christians. If you look at it, the very first thing, lovers of themselves, lovers of self, self-love, is truly the root of almost everything else. Because selfishness and self-centeredness is where everything comes from. The love of money, the love of pleasure, all those other things comes when somebody is too much in love of themselves, with themselves. Amen? So how does love of self manifest itself? How do you know someone or how can you identify someone who just loves themselves more than anything else? Let's look at what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So that's one characteristic of self-love. This idea that I'm better than everybody else. I am on top. Everybody else is beneath me. Anybody that does that, or if that trait is in you, it needs to go away. Because that's one of the things he's saying we bring perilous times, bring difficult times, not only to you, but to other believers, and it will cause unbelievers not to want to come to Christ. When you think of himself more highly than he ought to, he says we are supposed to think soberly, as God has dared to each one a measure of faith. Let me explain what that means. As believers, when we think we are more spiritual than other people, it's sometimes for believers is because we think we have more faith. But one thing you don't realize that you might have faith in this one thing, and you might not have faith or yet built up in another area. So it's telling you that the fact that you are strong in one area doesn't mean you're better than the others who have not yet grown in that area. And so you have to learn to show grace, you have to learn to be humble, and you have to learn to help those that have not reached the level that you have reached, to bring them up. The Bible says that you cannot go to somebody and say, let me take the dust out of your eye, when you have a plank in your own eye. And so as a believer, these last days, when you have an area where you are strong, Use that area to help other people grow. 
That is not the time to talk about people to tell this person is not Christian enough. This person is a baby Christian. This one is not growing. They have their areas of strength as well. And you just happen to have this other area they are growing in. Because the truth is, sometimes believers, we tend to think we know more than everybody else. And so people can't reach out to us because of the way we carry ourselves. So a brother or sister has a need in an area, but they can't come to you because you are so standoffish, having this spiritual coat you are wearing, just because you are strong in one area. The Bible says that when you are comforted and when God takes you through something, it's because he wants to use that same thing for other people as well. So if, you, if you've gone through financial issues and you finally were able to get your finances together, somebody who is still trying, struggling to make a budget, bring that sister and say, my dear, come, let me show you how I did my budget. Let me show you how I went, came out of debt. Show them what you have learned and what God has showed you. Use your strength to raise that person's weakness. Amen? Amen. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. I want to stay here a little bit. Christians are the most... I won't say it, God forgive me. I don't want to say what I... Ambition is good. But when it's selfish ambition in the body of Christ, it does two things. It makes you never content. A selfishly ambitious person is never content with what they have. And so they are never happy. They are always comparing themselves. You wear this dress, even though they are own that they've ambitiously gotten, might be better than you, but they are still envying you. So a selfishly ambitious person, all they are ambitious about, and I'm taking my time to do this because we read the scripture. It says, in the last days, perilous times will come for men. It didn't say for earthquake. We've talked about earthquakes happening. We've talked about famine and pestilences. But we need to talk about the character of the believer. That's what Paul is stressing in 2 Timothy. He's saying, yeah, we've talked about the earthquakes, we've talked about the signs, we've talked about the natural events that will happen, but judgment will start in the house of God. And so if you are a believer, you are ambitious, yeah, ambition is good, but is your ambition selfish ambition to raise yourself up? Or is your ambitions the one that wants to raise Jesus up? Somebody offends you. Can you sit with that person because of Jesus and resolve it as a brother to a brother? Or do you, because of your selfish ambitions, leave and try to slander the other person so that the work of God will die? Because that's what Christians do. I'm going to talk bad about that church. I'm going to talk about that pastor. You forgot that that pastor is doing what God has put in their hands to do. They might not be perfect, but they are trying to help people. They are trying to encourage people. They are trying to bring souls. And you think if the church falls off or if that church dies, you have won something? 
You see what selfish ambition you become so people become so deluded. That's why I don't go near people who want to talk about pastors. Because they eat lunch after church and they eat pastor with their lunch. And you forget that at the end of the day it's about souls. It's not about who has the biggest church or who has the smallest church. When I stand before God, when you stand before God, he's not going to ask you if your church was the biggest. All he's going to ask you is you're going to get crowns for the things you did. Salvation, yeah. But we're all going to, and scriptures, if I get the time to get there, he says he will gather them together. And he will tell some, you came to see me. Let me not go ahead of myself. So he talked about selfish ambition and then vain conceit. You know, people that are conceited don't even know it. People that we really need, all of us, we need to go back to, the, to God and say, God, show me me. He says in humility, value others above yourselves. Do we do that? Do I say, you know what, Randy is, is better than me in this area. I'm going to let, even as a pastor, she's better than me. I'm going to go to her and say, Randy, uh, I don't know much about this thing. Can you help me? Every one of us, everyone has an area where somebody can strengthen you. No one man is an island. And so if you're carrying yourself, you're nothing. If not for the grace of God, all of us don't have anywhere to... It's God that has helped every one of us. And so when people come, because you might have people come to you that may not have taken a bath. Have you been to the street to do street ministry? You might have people coming. My husband got TB from street ministry. People that haven't taken a bath for years, haven't been to doctors for years. You don't know what they have. And you have to pray with them, lay hands on them when they give their lives to the Lord. You have, we, we have, all of us, me included, we have to let the gods we serve, the God of comfort and the God of convenience, we all have to let those gods die in our lives. We all have to let those gods die in our lives. Because this end times, God is going to wake you up at 12 a.m., at 3 a.m., say, I need you to intercede right away. There's something going on and you have to be willing to get up and pray. We are going to be going to street. God is saying, there's someone in the house that I need somebody to go to talk to that person right away. Can I trust the Ark Fellowship Taft Rich team to go and reach that person and snatch them from the point, from the, from the clutches of the devil? Will you say, God, I'm so tired. I went to work. I'm, I'm so tired. I don't feel like doing that. Can you, will, can God depend on us, the Ark Fellowship people? Can he depend on us? That's the cry of my heart because if everywhere around us is parched, if everywhere around us is burnt, if everywhere around us is desolate and he makes us to be fruitful and he's dropping the meat of the word of God in our midst, are we ready, all of us, to go and distribute what he's given us? Are we ready? It says in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you looking to the interest of other people. Every one of us. It's not me, I, my family, my wants, my like, my preference. It says look for the interest 
of those out there that don't have. Even if you are in this country, you are the lowest earning person, minimal, uh, minimum wage. If you leave, uh, leave this country and go to another country, some of the third world countries, you are considered the top 1%. God has blessed us. We can inconvenience ourselves two Saturdays in a month or two Tuesdays in a month to go on the street and say, God has blessed me because I got saved. Let me give the same thing to you. Pray with their needs. You saw the list last Tuesday, that, two weeks ago, the list that came from people knocking on doors. People need the Lord. People are hungry. People are desperate. And it's not even really started yet. We are not even, we are just scratching the beginning of the times of tribulation. Romans chapter 12 verse 10. It says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor. I don't want to go, because I want to go to the part of denying ungodliness. So what's the remedy for love? Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 to 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When Jesus is talking, we must take note and pay attention. One thing these days, as I've started looking at the prophecies and, and declarations in the, old, you know, in the Old Testament that have come to pass, think about it, everything that was prophesied about Jesus, 368, I think, of them, every single one of them came to pass. Every single one of them came to pass. And there's a professor in one of these universities in Texas here said, the, the possibility... Of all those 368 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus coming to pass in one man, it's like taking a silver coin and filling the whole of Texas up to four feet deep with the same coins, and they just drop you anywhere in Texas and say, pick one coin. The possibility of it being Jesus, that same coin that is what you are going to pick, that's what it means. That means you fill the whole of Texas four, in, four feet, not four inch, four feet deep with coins. And they put this golden coin in all of it and just drop it somewhere. And they say, okay, go find that golden coin. If you're able to pick that same coin, that's the possibility that one person could have fulfilled all the prophecies. We are reading all the things that were written about Israel. Every single thing is coming to pass. They said Jesus will come. Isaiah talked about it. Isaiah talked about his suffering and death on the cross. Everything happened exactly as it was prophesied in Isaiah and other scriptures. Now, he has prophet, Jesus himself told you that I'm coming back again for my church without spot or wrinkle. And you are think, and people are thinking, oh well, they've been saying he's coming back. He is coming back. He is, you can bet your life on it. So what's the remedy for self-love? It says here, 
If you desire to come after Jesus, you must deny yourself and you must take up your cross. I talked about the two things we have, all of us have to crucify in our lives. Deny yourself means you must give up the convenience and the comfort. Does God not want us to live in comfort? He wants us to. But when the comfort is giving you, when the convenience is giving you, now become a distraction or something that limits you from doing what he has called you to do, then that's what God does not want. Amen? We're all of us, we have to talk to our flesh. When the flesh says, I want, I need, me, my, my desires, you tell it no. It's God's desires, it's what God wants, and it's what God needs. We can talk to our flesh. We really can. They say also, take up your cross. What does the cross represent? The cross represents execution and death. Everyone, I know, I know that for myself, I know that every believer has an area in your life that God wants you to crucify. That one area that the enemy just seems to have a hold on, that he gets to defeat you all the time. It's time to put that thing on the cross and put a nail through it and crucify it. Because that thing is your cross. And you have to let the cross, of, uh, the cross, as it says here, uh, that's where Jesus died. It's the same cross, your own cross, where you must die. Where the flesh must die. Amen? I know I'm a little strong today, but like I said, that dream scared me, so I want to scare all of you too. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, and I'll be ending with this. It says, having a form of godliness, but denying his power. And from such people turn away. Like I said, we always thought that denying the power of godliness was as a Christian, you are not walking in power, you are not walking in, in, you are not speaking in tongues, you are not doing signs, you are not doing miracles, which as a believer, because the Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. But when you do a study on this scripture right here, the godliness that the, the, the Bible is talking about here, is the external ministries of the believer. The things you do, the works you do that show love. That is the form because God is love, right? The Bible says God is love. So when you get saved, the first form of godliness says, By this all men shall know you are my disciples if you love one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks very clearly about with all, all you, you can speak in tongues, you can raise the dead, you can give your body to be born, but if you don't have love, it will mean absolutely nothing. So, denying the form of godliness is denying to do give love. Just as simple as that. Denying to give of what God has put in you, the love of God in you, denying to show that love to other people. That is what, that, that's what it means to deny God, on God, uh, godliness. The power of godliness is the power of love. The power of godliness is the power of good works. Done with a good conscience for other people who cannot help themselves. Without you wanting something back in return. Amen? Amen. James chapter 2 verses 14 to 17 and then 26. He says, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, 
but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself. If you are a believer that I, I trust God, I believe God, I have faith, I pray, God, I have, you know, you are on fire for the Lord, but that's all you have. And you don't have works, you don't, you're not doing good works because of your faith. The Bible says that faith you have is dead. And it emphasizes that again in verse 26. It says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. It's as simple as that. He says, show me your faith and your works. Or show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith with my works. We all have to do, everyone here sitting here today, find something, even if it's not here in this church, find a ministry you can every month send 20, 10, whatever dollars to. Make it some, Israel, they have a lot of, a lot of ministries to help those in Israel. Everyone in this church, you make sure you are doing something outside of just paying your bills. That you're helping, you're giving, you're serving. And the last scripture I will read is in Matthew 25, verses 34 to 36. This was when, at the last time, all people came to Jesus. And he said he started to separate. Put some people on his right and some on the left. Then Jesus, the king, said to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, a prison team. And you came to me. And they said, Lord, when did we do all these things? When were you sick? And when were you hungry? When were you naked? When were you thirsty? That we did all this for you. And look at what Jesus said in verse 40. And the king will answer them and say to them, As shortly I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So you went to her and to pass out food, to knock on doors. It was Jesus you were doing it to. You woke up on Saturday morning to come here to distribute food. It was Jesus you were giving food to. They enter the cars and go on Thursdays to the prison ministry to go behind the hole where they are. Nobody to see them. They are there 24 hours in their cell and you crouch down to have them see your face and your eyes and you minister to them. It's Jesus in that hole that you're ministering to. When we start our clinic and we're asking people, if you don't have a doctor, if you don't have money, come here, we are going to treat you. It's Jesus you're doing that to. When the tough reach every other Tuesday decide, come back from work tired, rushing down here to make sure we all go out to knock on doors, not knowing if a dog is going to bite you, not knowing if they are going to throw stuff at you, not knowing if they are going to say, please get out of my door, which has happened. But you knock on that door and one person who has been crying, God sent somebody. And you go there and you encourage them and you lead them to the Lord. It's Jesus you are doing that to. 
That is what Christianity is all about. Christianity, we've made it a religion of convenience and comfort. I'm here to tell you by the Spirit of the Lord this morning, that's not what we are supposed to do. Christianity is not a religion of convenience and comfort. You come in here, it's air-conditioned, no tithe, no offering is given, you just come, enjoy it, and go. Mm-mm. I'd rather have 20 people here that are ready to work, because next year, we call this year a year of exploits. I know what God has done for us. We've done a lot of things, but next year is going to even be better. We are not going to be selfish people. The little we have, if I have 20 people that are ready to work, we are going to reach people. We are going to reach souls. We are going to reach youth. April and John and, 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 and Randy and... and, and We are doing things to reach the young people. The Bible says, I will pour, I, that just struck me. The Bible says, I will pour my spirit on all flesh. It says the young men, the maids and the men servants. And I looked at it and said, he only mentioned older people a couple of times. But the other four groups that he mentioned were all young people. Men servant, maid servant, your sons and your daughters. So the Holy Spirit is emphasizing us going and reaching young people. And so we're going to be doing that, Adam, Randy, April, John. Get ready. We're going to be walking. Amen? So this morning, we're all going to consecrate ourselves. This song is said, I'll be a living sacrifice. It's not just to sing lip service. We're saying, Lord, today we're going to be a living sacrifice. If God tells you to give up something for your comfort, you do it. If God tells you to give up convenience, you do it. To serve him and to give him your all because he's already done so much for you. If God doesn't do one more thing for any of us here, he's done enough. It's time now for us to, out of what he's given to us, to go pour it out on people. So stand to your feet this morning. I'm going to ask you, again, I'm not going to force anybody. If you're here, you're saying, Lord, I want to do something for you. I want to do something that will mean eternal things to you. I want you to come up. Let all of us rededicate our lives to the Lord. Because what is coming is going to be perilous times. It's going to be rough. And those that will stay are those that have been able to kill themselves in little things. If they now tell you to stand and give yourself to the Lord, it will not be a stretch for you to do it. Because you've already been used to killing yourself in very little ways. And so the big, big things that God will ask of you is not going to be too much for us to do. So we are going to give ourselves to him today. Me included, I'm there with you. Because I know God is going to be asking a a whole lot from me. A whole, whole, whole lot. And I want to make sure I have people behind me that when I say, come, this is what God wants us to do. You are a nurse. God is going to be asking you to do work. A lot of people are going to be coming here to help. We are going to do it. We are going to do it. Medical missions. We are going to start it again and go where God tells us to go. We are going to do it. Sing that last song you sang. I told you, please. 